For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Here in Philippians 2, Paul is pleading for Christian unity and humility within the church and uses the example of Christ to inspire us to live humbly. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, The Way Up is Down. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit is in our hearts and and with us this morning would help focus our thoughts and, and Father, open the eyes of our hearts and Help us to, Lord, we are so convicted by these life-changing truths about uh, humbleness and humility and putting others uh, before our own needs and considering others more significant than ourselves. Lord, we are so convicted and we have such a struggle with these things. So change our lives this morning through the power of your word. Help us to receive it, put it into practice so that we could be a blessing to you. Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, most of you are familiar with Lewis Carroll's famous book, Through the Looking Glass. Uh, Alice steps through uh, the, the mirror in the living room, and what does she find on the opposite side? But a world that's completely upside down and backwards. She tries to turn left, and she goes right. Up is down. Fast is slow. I would imagine that would take some getting used to. Uh, Christianity, as many people have noted, is a kind of a looking glass like that, that once you enter the door through the gospel, and Jesus says he is the door, and when we come to him, we enter into God's kingdom that pretty much is upside down from this world. Uh, God's principles are opposite to the principles of this Christ-rejecting uh, sinful world. And so, uh, I mean, think of it. Jesus wins by losing, really, and he triumphs by serving, you know, and just really all backwards. Uh, to receive love, if you want to receive love, you have to be giving love. And not just in terms of love or being refreshed. He says, he who refreshes others, he himself will be uh, refreshed. And Jesus said, give and then it will be given to you. It's just not the way we do things. To truly live, he says, you've got to die to self-centeredness. And to be honored, you first have to be humbled. And that word means to go low. And so finding yourself at God's expense, of course, would be losing yourself. And then to lose your life, to lose your life and let your sinful a self-generated life go for the life that God has for you is to really find yourself. And so Jesus didn't just teach these truths. He lived them and modeled them for us just in incredible and mind-blowing ways. And once again, uh, here in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be called to follow his example. After all, what did he say? He said, if you want to be my disciple, which means learner, or follower, then you're going to have to get used to denying your self-centered way of being uh, 
and dying to things, picking up your cross and dying to things that are inconsistent with Christ's life and then following, learning and imitating. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, walk with me, partner with me and you will find this meekness and gentleness and lowliness that he's all about. So Paul prompted now by the Holy Spirit here in in Philippians chapter two, is aware of the squabbling and the division uh, that's threatening uh, the welfare of Calvary Chapel of Philippi, as I like to call it, all right? Now, now, why, why are they going to be squabbling and there's disunity and they're not getting along? Why? Because there's too much pride. There's too much self. There's too much of that going around. And so now he's going to use the Lord's stunning example uh, to motivate and model what true humility is because true humility, not only is just the right way to be, right, but it's the remedy to all of our problems, putting other people, seeing other people, serving them and their needs. It's just something that we all uh, fall short in, but we're called to do. So uh, the way up is down. And so Paul continues here at verse five. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so this wraps up the uh, section that we started. We just tackled verses one through four, but now uh, he's gonna help us to uh, have some inspiration to do what he's asked us to in the four previous verses, which was to put others above ourselves and to not live in pride, but to have humility and to get over ourselves and our pettiness and get on the same page as God and and exalting Jesus and the big picture of the gospel, what God is doing in the world. It's not about us, it's about him. And the way he's gonna do that is now uh, motivate us by telling us to, one, imitate Christ's mindset or attitude, So if you're taking notes, one, imitate Jesus' attitude. Two, consider who he was. Three, consider what he did. And four, remember what's coming next. And so that is to help us get over ourselves, make it about Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, uh, a call to imitate Christ's mindset or attitude. He says, uh, this attitude that Jesus had has to be in you. We are called to imitate this in verse five. And so what we'll do is just isolate uh, that passage here so that we can uh, concentrate. 
Back home in, in Philippi there, as it were, Paul's addressing that serious problem that I'm talking about, you know, the disunity, the bossy people, uh, folks who have gotten their feelings hurt or they're carrying grudges and they're just making trouble. The church is hindered. The church is not going forward, but the church is stuck because of certain people who won't get over themselves and... Um, and this whole passage is, is directed to help them with that. You know, the devil's strategy was working, and it's always the same, divide and conquer. So uh, just the context is important for this attitude adjustment. He's saying uh, the big objective in the passage, the context, is that we contend for the gospel, that we get the job done, that we're called to be the church. He says, let's do this. We're the church. We're to be the ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be a city on a hill shining so that everybody living in darkness who are condemned without God, without hope in this world, will look and see a light shining and see our, and see our good works and come closer and hear the gospel and be saved. He says, but you can't do that without spiritual unity. And so the church was not one. There were a little pocket here, a little pocket here, and we like them, and we don't like them, and did you hear what so-and-so said? And so being in the church is really difficult when there's a bunch of that dumb stuff going around. And so he says, I, w I want you to be one mind, same love, one in purpose, and one in spirit. And then he finished up by saying, uh, you can't do that. You can't be one without people being humble. So if you're in a room filled with people and all they care about is them and, and how they want church to go and how, how many people greeted me today instead of how many pe people did I have the privilege of greeting today. And so that a church is where everybody comes with their clipboard to get fed and then just check, how did I like the sermon? Well, it's pretty all right today. And, or, 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 or I didn't really like it. Or, you know, one time, not in my notes, surprise, one time I was at lunch <clears throat> And I'm sitting next to a couple, and they're talking kind of loud, and I'm trying not to listen. But um, they're talking so loud, and it's after church, and I'm just enjoying my lunch. And I hear her say, was it just me this morning, or was Pastor John off today? I wanted to get up and say, it was just you. <laughs> Let me answer the question. Oh my gosh, according to you, Pastor uh, John is off today. You know, instead of all the, oh, I can't tell you how that feels as a pastor to hear how many hours did he study and plan and sacrifice and didn't go to his kid's dinner, you know, so that he could feed her. And she's sitting there, well, is it just me? Yes. It's just you, you're having a me moment, okay? It's all about you, it's not about the gospel, it's not about him, it's not about the church, it's all about your clipboard. And, and did, he, did he please you and your senses and what did you get out of church today? Oh, amen? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad I got to kind of vicariously unleash on you. Uh, and so he's saying, 
would you please consider others better than yourselves? He's saying, even in subordinate roles, culturally and socially, you're still allowed to, even if it's an employer to an employee, to consider them more significant, you know, to be able to bring a word of correction, thinking that person is more important than you. So it doesn't mean you walk around as a doormat or say yes to everything they want. Uh, considering somebody more important than yourself is the way you deal with them, with the respect and sensitivity and care and humility. And, and, and finally, I mean, if everybody in this room just considered everybody more important than yourself and myself, we'd have an entire church of everyone looking up at people and not one person being looked down upon. And so then he says, I know that sounds impossible, but I'm asking you to do it, the Holy Spirit says, so therefore it's possible. <laughs> Humility and other-centeredness is possible. And I'm asking you to do it based on the following. Think about Jesus, who he was, what he did, and how he was exalted. And I think it will inspire you to follow his example. And so here it is, let's dive in. These beautiful words, just as just, uh, some people say that uh, Paul has uh, composed a hymn here for the church and that they actually set this to music because it's so beautiful. Uh, starting at verse six, seven, and eight, it forms just a beautiful thing. Even in English, you can hear in some of your Bibles, set six, seven, and eight as, uh, apart as prose because it's just it, in Greek. There's a rhythm about it, there's a cadence, there's a meter. And so scholars say, did they sing this? Did Paul uh, compose it under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to be a song or, or um, a creed that they recited during worship? Look at it in English, how beautiful it is. Who in the form of God existing, not an advantage tightly grasping, his being equal to God fully, but nothing he made himself. The form of a servant embracing, in likeness of man becoming, found in appearance as man, himself he did lower, obeying to the death, even death on a cross. So that's the essence of it, transliterated into English. And uh, I'm gonna leave that up there as we walk through this about this mindset. He says, the mindset of a person, the attitude of a person will shape everything about you, what you say and do. It starts with your attitude. It's like the rudder of your life, right? So if you're bitter or resentful, you have that kind of attitude. Sure enough, the fruit of that will spill out. And so he's saying, Christ has a mindset. The Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Christ is in you. You must have the same attitude that Christ had because he's in you. Now, the, 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 the phrasing there, the, this ex exhortation means to develop an attitude based on careful thought. Here's what the Holy Spirit through Paul is, is doing. He's inviting you and he's inviting me to rethink our attitudes in light of Christ's attitude who just happens to be 
God in a human body. And when you consider God in a human body doing what he did with that attitude, then who are we? We are the object of his great blessing and, and also called to imitate. And so, I mean, it's hard. Mark Twain is the one who said, few things are harder to deal with than the irritation of a good example. Now, <laughs> it's just hard. I mean, it's harder than when somebody just, just calls you out on something. But just, just to live in front of you the good example, that's tough. You know, but humility, <laughs> humility ought to make you very uncomfortable when you say the word. It makes me very uncomfortable. It's kind of like holiness it's like, or purity. It's one of those words, like you just like smile and just can we move on now, you know, because I don't want to talk about humility. Humility means you're always thinking about other people. You're, you're, you're self-effacing. You're not proud, you're, you're not egocentric, you don't get your feelings hurt all the time about every little thing. Oh, I've counseled marriages where they want to talk about everything, every little thing, every, every look, every turn of the head, every, anything. They just want to talk it out, let's talk it out. Just, just, just too much of you there. When we are humble, we're able to let some of the petty offenses go. In fact, the proverb says it's to your glory to overlook a petty offense. And so it, it's hard, it's difficult, but this is what he's commanding us to share his attitude. I did read uh, something interesting about this attitude. Scientists were able to make chickens think like quail. Now, <laughs> Here's how they did it. I don't think we can do it for us, but uh, they took some brain tissue from quail and they put it in the embryo of the chicken. And when the chickens grew up, they, the chickens ended up sounding like quail. They weren't clucking like chickens because they had a transplant of brain tissue uh, that told them more or less you need to be sounding like a quail. Now, so chickens... Uh, you know, can think like quail and sound like quail, and fallen human beings with a little help can think like Christ and sound like him and have his same attitude. Why? Because this mind is in you. you he, he got inside of you if you're saved. If you're just a churchgoer doing nice deeds and call yourself a Christian, but, but the transplant hasn't happened, then you're not saved. He comes into us, and so we are able to yield that part of us. And the problem with us, I wish we were that's so easy that we could just have a permanent alteration like those chickens did. Uh, we get the transplant, but we have a competing uh, attitude problem, our own which we're called to constantly die to, constantly deny, constantly be filled with the Spirit. So instead of expressing and living as a prompt of my sinful, self-centered attitude, that I would replace that with the transplanted mindset of Christ. And so it is possible to embrace that, but it needs to be cultivated just you're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. You got up early and you're in church. It's not always easy to be in church. 
You're doing the right thing. What's happening to you right now? You're getting the word of God washing over your your brains. And everyone in this room, including me, has had multiple attitude adjustments already. Already. I haven't even started. (laughs) I am sort of starting, you know. We haven't even gotten to anywhere. And I'm already like, dear God, I'm so sorry. You know, I've called on the carpet so, because we've worshiped the Lord. We've been in his presence. We're around other Christians. We heard Christian music when we walked in. We've heard, we've, we've heard the Psalms. That is all the part that, that nourishes and, and cultivates the attitude. He says, have this attitude, embrace this attitude, make it yours. So let's dive in number two. So he says, I want you to consider who he was, who we're imitating, because it's gonna make everything so much more amazing. When you say Jesus, you're talking about God. Philip on the night Jesus was betrayed. And we go here a lot, but in John 14, he's all, Lord, you're freaking us out. And he didn't really say that, but he, he's like, we're upset, you're upset. Uh, this is pretty serious stuff. Would you just give us a glimpse? Go ahead, open our minds. Give us a glimpse of God, Yahweh, the Father, Jehovah God. And he says, Philip, how long have I been with you still Three and a half years and you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen God, the Father. And then in other places, uh, in so many places, not a, uh, humility is not afraid to say the facts or the truth. He says, I and the Father are one. So fact number one, being in the very nature God. He was God. So in other words, Paul, the Holy Spirit, is saying, Christ, this <laughs> example of ours, didn't come in, into existence. He wasn't created. Uh, he, he was around before the world was because he is in very substance God. You know, an argument broke out with the Jewish leaders in John chapter 8 with our Lord Jesus and they were talking about Abraham, and he said, Jesus said, oh, speaking of Abraham, he was really glad to see me. <laughs> he was really glad to see me, Abraham was. And they said, now we know you're crazy and demon-possessed. You're not even 50 years old, and yet you claim to have seen Abraham. And then he lets them have it. He says, well, by the way, uh, before Abraham was, I am. The I am of Exodus 3.14 burning bush, I am. That's what he used there. And so at this, they pick up stones. They want to kill him. And, you know, I don't know if it's in this case because it was several times. But he says, "Uh, why are you going to kill me? For which good work are you going to kill me for? And he says, we're not going to kill you because of your good works. It's because you, a mere man, make yourself equal to God. Bingo. Yeah, they get it. That's what he's teaching. Before Abraham was, which was 2,000 years before them speaking, he says, not I was, but I am. And so this is what he's saying. Who in the form of God existing? God exists as one God, three persons. Nobody can explain it to you, so don't even ask anybody for help because, you know, somehow the three... They're not three separate gods. 
It is one God expressed in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the three are one. We are talking about, when you talk about Jesus, you're talking about the second person of the Godhead who's always been God, always is God, and always will be God. Because why? He's God. (laughs) Uh, Boy, that took a lot. Uh, of thought there. So the word form there for very nature in your text, it means more than outward structure or form. It means substance and essence, the exact substance. And so the virgin birth helps understand this. Yeah, Mary says, you know, I'm not, I'm not qualified for this job to the angel. And, she, and he says, I know the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive by the Holy Spirit who is who? God. God himself, Mary, is going to climb into your womb and incarnate himself as God the Son. No father is going to be involved on earth. And thus, what is born of Mary, you have both ends of your text. In verse 6, very nature God. And in verse 8, found his appearance as a man. So he is 100% a man, and he's 100% God, and we call him the God-man. So Paul says, you want to talk humility? You want to see Jesus, what he did? Let's first consider from how Hi, he climbed down because that's what humility means is to go low, put yourself low. Well, <laughs> there's no more higher of a high than being the most high. <laughs> that's right up there, isn't it? In Paul's day, morphe means very nature there, the very nature of God, right? It was a Roman stamp, and they used to stamp with wax, hot wax, and when it was still, um, you know, hot, they would impress the uh, seal or the ring into the wax, and it would have the morphe, the exact image. So God, if he impressed himself into human flesh, and poured himself into a human body, which is what Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 says, in him the fullness of godness dwells in human body. That's exactly what we have. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Do you see? That is who we're talking about. So, um, I think this is an amazing thing that the disciples sort of had to have hidden from them because it would just blow their mind. I mean, in the end, First uh, John chapter 1, he says, we handled, we touched him. We touched the word of life, you know, that which was from the beginning became flesh. And we, we were like, you know, high-fiving and hugging God who spoke the world into being. I mean, I just can't imagine being one of his half-siblings How would you like to grow up with God of the universe as your older brother? Wow, we've talked about that before. Just I can't imagine, you know, one of the kids saying to Mary, Mary hearing, you're not the boss of me, Jesus, you know? And poor Mary just has to break the news gently. 
you know, yeah, he is, he is, he is the boss of you, and he's the boss of uh, your mother and father, and he's the boss of really everyone in the village, and he's the boss of the world and the universe, you know, so, and just, just crazy. Uh, oh, oh, and they did not like him. They did not believe in him till after the resurrection. They used to say, he's crazy. My brother thinks he's like the savior of the world. Well, but he was <laughs> in this one case. All right, yeah. So he divests himself, uh, verse seven, of all this, that even though he's God, fully God, he, he divests, he empties himself of his own rights. Please, he doesn't empty himself of his godness. No, he empties himself of the privilege and the right. He doesn't grasp on to that. You see that they're not an advantage tightly grasped or seized. You see, he already had his deity. It wasn't all about him. You know, I'm the Lord, serve me. Rather, he emptied himself of that privilege. It's like if you poured milk out of one container into another, you've changed containers, but the milk stays the same. And so God went from a bejeweled, diamond-studded gold vase into a cardboard box, a human body. But the essence is the same. That is fully God. Behind those big brown eyes is the Lord who spoke and made the world. So I'm not going to picture of the earth. I really do. There it is. That guy sleeping by the fire that guy did that. He spoke. Nothing was made without him. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. By, by Jesus, all things were created. And nothing has been created without him. And by Jesus, he holds all of it together. I mean, think of what's involved down there on, on the planet. Everything. He made it, and there he is sleeping on the fire, by the fire. <laughs> He's going to sleep on the fire in some ways. But where we're headed is that the one who did that is going to empty himself, lay himself down, let people strip him and spit on him and torture him willingly for the joy set before him. That is just right? That's what the Holy Spirit wants the whole room to be doing this so that you won't walk out with your big head that can't even fit outside the two sanctuary doors. It'll be a lot less large and swollen, if that's a word, which it's not, but I just made it up, so it is. Thank you for that. You can go back to the the poetic version there. You know, come on. He made himself nothing. <sighs> made himself nothing. Come on. What am I doing? Running around trying, trying to... That's our biggest fear. It's our biggest fear to do what our hero did. As a virtue. He made himself a nobody. Everybody in the room, it was all about the people who were needy in the room. It was all about them all the time. He said, I didn't come as the son of God to be served, but I came to serve. That was my mindset. It was not about me when I came, even though I'm God. And so you have to ask yourself, if he made himself a nobody, 
He walked around like, I'm just a, a regular guy trying to do the Father's will. Wow. What does that say for me and for you? He could have come down, no palace, a dirty stable. Come on. <laughs> to, to be born in, laid in a, in a feeding trough. Almighty God is a helpless baby who needs to be fed and, and have his diapers changed. Why? He's on a mission. The king of glory and poverty, for you know for the grace, uh, by the grace of the Lord Jesus, and though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, his emptying, his becoming nobody. Come on, he didn't have, he, 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 there was no place for him to be born, though he made the world, couldn't find any place for him. Uh, he has to borrow a boat from which to preach. Uh, he needs a place to sleep because he doesn't have a place to lay his head, though he did a pretty good job at making the world. A donkey to ride, he has to borrow one of those. Uh, he has to borrow a coin to, to make a sermon illustration. He says, somebody give me a coin. Why? He doesn't have one in his pocket at the time. So he's going to say, hey, whose picture is this? But he borrows that coin. Unbelievable. A room for the Last Supper. It's not his house. A tomb to be buried in. Borrowed. He emptied himself. He was just, just laid it all down. He divested himself with a purpose. Why? Well, he was going to become obedient as a slave, as a servant, because one thing mattered, the Father's love and our state of lostness. He came to seek and save the lost. He needed a body to do it. This is what motivated the God of glory to pour himself into human flesh because it says, the children, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and to set them all free from the tyranny death once held. Hebrews uh, chapter two. Listen, if you have a debt and somebody's going to pay the debt, you have to pay in the currency of the debt, as I've mentioned before. In other words, if you owe somebody a favor, right, you pay back the favor. And if you owe somebody their shovel, you bring back the shovel. If you owe somebody a hundred bucks, you pay them back a hundred dollars, not yen or rupees, right? You have to pay the debt in the currency. The wages of sin, which is the problem for death, the wages of sin is death. So our problem is death and eternal separation, the second death from God because of our sins. So somebody has to, if they want to pay that debt, they'll have to pay with a death on our behalf. So in order for God to do that, God needs the currency. And the currency is a cardboard body. You know, he has to pour himself into one of us. Why couldn't just a regular guy do it? A regular guy has sins of his own. He's indebted. How can someone who's bankrupt say, hey, I'm here to help you out of your financial difficulties? No, you're not. You're here to make things worse. You can't help because you're indebted as well. So we need a human being who has no debt, no sin of his own, so that he has the funds and the goods to pay off someone else's debt. That would be him. That would be Jesus. That would be the most high God in a body that says, Father, here I am. 
a body you prepared for me. Let's do this. And so he puts himself out there as the substitutionary payment plan for the sins of the entire world. He came to die. It wasn't, he wasn't killed for his good work, as I've often said. He was not killed because he did good work. It was his good work to be killed. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, embalming spices. They even got it. They read the prophecies. Down he comes from heaven. The scripture says, mind-boggling enough, he takes on human flesh, willing to die for our sins that he didn't commit for people who didn't even want him, his enemies. That's the crazy thing as well. And then he says, he was a slave. One thing mattered to him, your eternal destiny, right? And he just lowered himself and obeyed, and then even, even death to a cross. Now, first of all, can God even die? The Greek, when he says that he gave up his spirit, he dismissed his spirit. He caused himself. He released himself unto death. He can't stay dead because he's God, but he certainly, as a human being, could die, and that's why he needed a human heart. He needed a human heart because the human heart needed to stop beating because that would have been my heart. My back needed to be lashed, so he needed a back. My face should have been spit in after what I've done. So he needed a face that got the spittle. I should have been tortured. So he needed some, a beard, so they could. He needed a, a spirit that could, could receive the mocking and the insulting and the fear and the anxiety, so much so that he sweat drops of blood. He needed to be a human being to go through everything we would have to go through so that we wouldn't have to ever worry about it again. And we never have to because he was a slave all the way to a cross. To a cross. Why did he pick a cross? We sing about it. We put it around our neck in gold. But even back then, it was like the cross is a scandal. It was against the law for a Roman citizen to be crucified. The word excruciating comes from crucified. One writer said this. Well, not a writer. The Bishop of Alexandria, early 4th century, said Jesus chose the only way you can die with your arms stretched out wide open, inviting the entire world to come and enjoy the benefits of having sins paid for, the consequences of death lifted. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Come to me. Come to me. I'm the answer. And he said, when you lift me up from the earth, oh, I'm going to draw all people to me through the glory of this horrible, wonderful, dark and hideous, light and brilliant, despair and defeat and hope and triumph. The cross, he went all the way. And why? I like 700 years before he appeared in Bethlehem, it says, when he sees all that he accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied, Isaiah 53. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. He wanted to go to that cross. 
He wanted to. He just, for the joy, he had, there was mixed feelings. This is going to be the remedy. <clears throat> I'm going to see them all in heaven, my people. He shall save his people from their sins. He was thinking of us. I'm going to see them eternally. But he despised the shame. For the joy set before him, Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, us, despising the shame, he endured the cross. Wow. The Lord's mindset, it's all about you. It's all about God, the Father. It's not about me. I like what he said. He said, you think these are my words? Love this. I don't say anything on my own accord. Jesus speaking, son of God. I only say what the Father gives me to say. I'm just here obeying him, talking for him. How about you? Why are you here? So the story doesn't end on the cross. There's an exaltation. And so time for exaltation and our last point here. So we'll put that up there. Therefore, God, the Father, exalted him, God, the Son, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. And so the Father, excuse me, highly exalts the Son. In fact, the word is, Highly exalted in the Greek, they're spaced out in English, but highly exalted means to super exalt, and it's not used anywhere else. It means Jesus was exalted in a category of its own, in a super exalting way. And so the resurrection, the ascension, and the exaltation of Jesus is a validation of everything he said and everything he did. When he said to folks, believe in me and you'll never die, the resurrection, the ascension, the exaltation that Christ is in heaven on the throne <clears throat> is proof that, that he can make good that promise. I came down from the Father. I and the Father are one. Whoever follows me will never be hungry or thirsty. I will satisfy him. All of these are are validated um, by his exaltation. Uh, Now, Jesus is exalted to the highest place. Well, it's not a new place for Jesus. It's not a place that he's never been because he's been there before. He lets us know that in his high priestly prayer. In John 17, he says, Father, glorify me with the glory that we shared before the world was here. All right, And so he's not like, okay, Jesus, Jesus is this man, this good example for us. And now because of his uh, humiliation, God exalts him to this highest place. No, 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 no. Uh, the God the Father is going to affirm and confer upon him his rightful title and name, not Jesus. He's already named him Jesus. The idea there is conferred him as Lord. That is the title. In fact, that word name can mean title or office or position. So upon him, we already had the name Jesus, meaning the Lord is salvation. Now, 
we are going to see that he is vindicated and validated as a Lord. Now, uh, you know, he's been there before. <laughs> I mean, he said it all the time, John chapter six, hey, I came down from heaven. And that threw them. They're, they're like, well, how can you say you came down from heaven? We know, we know where you grew up and all of that. How can this man say that? You know, he came down from heaven. And then he went back up to be where he was before the world uh, began. His disciples were grumbling <clears throat> once. And uh, uh, he says to them, and I love this. He says, um, oh, you guys are grumbling. Is this too hard for you? He says, oh, what if you saw me just ascend to where I was before? Maybe that would help you. I <laughs> just love that statement. And I, 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 I would think that that quieted them down quite a bit. You know, Hey, what if, you just, what if I just descended right now and before your very eyes to the place I was before? What a kind of human being is this? This is a God man who just claimed in simple Aramaic, Greek, English, whatever language you want to call it. I came down from heaven, and then he went back up to heaven, and he didn't need the Father's help. He did not. He said to the Jews in John chapter 2, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and I'll raise it up after three days. And I... But he defers. He comes under the Father. But he lets people know, I'm fully capable I'm just coming under. That was a humble thing. And so, you know, his glorious exaltation, let's get Jesus off the cross, my word. He's not on the cross. He's not a baby in the manger. His, his mother's not still holding him. His mother, his mother and him have a way different relationship right now. Amen? Amen. All right. <laughs> And not on that cross. He is not on the cross. He has traded places. John got a glimpse, a glimpse of him and almost died in a vision. He said, I turned and saw this figure talking to me and looked like the son of God. Ro royal robe, golden sash around his chest, purity of his appearance, white as snow, blinding. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were bronze glowing, like bronze glowing in a fiery furnace. His voice was like the sound of a thousand thunderous rushing waters. His words were powerful and sharp like swords. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Yeah, he's off the cross. He's not scarred. He's not bleeding. He's not weak and gasping. Somebody help me. He doesn't need his diapers changed anymore. Things have changed. And he looks at John and John falls out under this. Oh, what happened to you, Lord? This is way different from the last time I saw you. <laughs> and he says, yeah, man. He says to him, he says, I was dead. I was humbled. I laid my life down in the dirt and the dust. I was a friend of sinners. They called me Beelzebub, a glutton, a drunkard, called me demon-possessed. There were a lot of names, and I was weak, and I was hurt, and I was lonely, and I was afflicted, and I was persecuted. But things have changed, John. Things have changed, John. I was dead, but now I'm alive forever and ever and ever. And then that prompts this whole thing. 
And not only are you going to know it, John, but the entire universe and wherever there are beings, whether they be heavenly beings, created, angelic, cherubim, seraphim, whether it be people who have departed and they're already in heaven, here's the scope. Here's the region of those who will acknowledge his lordship. Those in heaven and those on earth, although they're going to have to be strong-armed into it, Armageddon will really help them to bow the knee and confess, right? But those on the earth will bow the knee and confess. And he says, those of my enemies who have perished, who are under the earth, and they're only under the earth temporarily, they will be resurrected, all the wicked dead, after a thousand-year kingdom. He will resurrect every evil person from Cain forward, and they will stand before a great white throne judgment. And if they haven't already, they will say, you are Lord, and their knee will bow. Everybody. I mean, I just, just went through the internet. Just, I just had a a minute, and I just started to see a face and see a faces, and just, just put, them, put them up there. Everybody, every mouth, every tongue, every knee will bow. Every single one of them will bow the knee, bow the will. Every tongue will acknowledge you are Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, who he said he was. There are some folks already acknowledging it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They, they, they will bow. They will bow. And, and not just them. Every single king, every single prince, every single princess, everybody you can imagine, they will bow their knee and confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord. It doesn't matter even if, yeah, every knee, they're, they're bowed already, half of them, but in the wrong way. Those knees are going to bow. Those tongues, everybody. He says the whole universe is going to know because the way up, thank you for that. You put the verse back up. The way up is down. Listen to me. The way up for God was down. The way up for you is down. The way up for me down. Others first. God's kingdom, more important than mine. God's word, the gospel, more important what's going on in my puny little life. I mean, God loves every little puny thing that's going on in our lives. But not when we exalt it above his will. It's his will that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now we just commit these truths to you. We ask for your help. God, just, there is nothing harder in the whole Christian life than putting humility and other-centeredness into practice and denying ourselves and, and dying to pride and ego and selfish ambition. Lord, it just just. Fill us with the Spirit and make it possible as we just 
surrender to you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.